0: All right. Did you mention earlier that this, this is our student ministry band? I'm sorry? Did you mention earlier this is our student ministry the, band? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mike did? Yeah. Okay. Todd was paying attention. I, I was promise. paying great yeah. attention. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I, was, I was out shaking babies and kissing hands. Um. How's everybody doing? Doing good? If you're new here, just understand, this is how hard we make it to be here. Communion should tell you something. <laughs> it's hard to be here, so you, you gotta be ready to be here if you're gonna be a part of Cornerstone, so. No, it's good having everybody here. We're in the middle of uh, looking at a membership series. And the our whole heart behind membership is just because we believe it's how it plays its way out inside of the New Testament. And one of the things that we've talked about, I know mine's low too. I know, I feel like a kid. You wanted so, just so. to be higher than me, That's, didn't you? That's it's the goal, that's the long term goal. No. <laughs> but one of the things that we tried to do off the very front end of it, just so everybody knows, is, is to connect this dot that you look at all throughout the New Testament, that God has designed his church to operate in these local, committed relationships. Like that's the huge heart of it, and that's why I tried to lay out kind of three different passages, whether we're looking at Peter or Paul, or even in the life of Jesus, what he was seeking to do is just this idea that that's how God has always done it. And I would say not just, not just in Jesus' life or the early church, it's been a part of how God has, has worked in and through his people throughout time. Now what we tried to do, though, is to make sure that you saw this, that, that when we talk about the definition of disciple, or even when we talked about this idea of a covenant that Christians laid out over the last couple of weeks... That is what we meant by these local committed relationships. It explains how it, local and a committed relationship works out. What, what does it look like to be committed was kind of that idea of covenant. But the big thing that we talk about in here when we, when we look at the, the first verse, which I hope it's gonna go.
1: I'm gonna throw out one thing real quick.
0: You do that. We, uh, if you guys haven't gotten these yet, these
1: are our membership booklets. We gave them out the last couple of weeks. Hopefully you brought yours back with you. If you need one, you can go ahead and throw your hand up. I would just say we did make a pretty big uh, uh, investment in, in printing these so nicely. So if you have like two or three at home, I'd ask you maybe not to take another one. We also have it available on our website. Um, there's a little QR code the ushers can give you. You can just pull it up on your phone or you can just go to cornerstoneseamy.com and click on about membership, and that'll give you a link to the PDF version of it as well. But we're going to continue to refer to this throughout this series in the next couple weeks. So if you have a hard copy, bring it with you. If you uh, want it on your phone, bookmark that page and you can find it. Sound good? Thank you.
0: You're still higher than me. I tried to make it I was higher <laughs> than you. But in looking at it, one of the things that we built this out of, which is a huge thing, is the Great Commission, right? Where Jesus is, he's getting ready to leave. He looks at all the guys that are following him those 12 that were on that mountain that day, or that 11, and he said to them, look, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore as you're going, wherever you may go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or to keep everything that I've commanded you. And listen to me is what he's saying. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now the core there is make disciples. So these local committed relationships, what they're intended to be about is to make these ones that are disciples, which is why we went ahead and we laid out this definition of a disciple, where a disciple is a follower of Jesus who is learning from Jesus, trusting in Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and helping others to do the same. Again, a local committed relationship where at the end of the day, we make much or we begin to develop people into these followers that look and act and and, and follow as Jesus intended us to follow. Now, off of that, though, and it's probably one of the ones that I think might be the hardest to understand, but when we talk about that committed relationship, the Bible has always used this word covenant. Now, it might have been kind of weird to kind of throw that term on there, but I thought Christian did a really good job of showing us how it was that God establishes these relationship, calls us to then follow him and everything about these, these committed relationships always point back to this covenant, which when you look at how it kind of it's, it's laid out in our, in our book on page 17 in the, in the membership book, is this idea of we describe membership at Cornerstone as a covenant, which is a word with rich biblical, biblical significance which Christian laid out. The covenant is it says formalized relationship based upon promises of ongoing faithfulness in pursuit of a common mission. Therefore, the purpose of membership at Cornerstone is nothing more or less than the commitment to live according to the relationship, promises, and mission of the new covenant within this particular local church. And again, we're not going to call you to anything other than what God's word says. We will not, by the grace of God, go beyond what is written, as Paul talks about like in 1 Corinthians 4. Now, the thing about it is, though, is when you, kind of, when you kind of wrestle it through a little bit further, though, well, how does this happen? Well, in our purpose statement, we, this is our purpose statement for all of you that have been around here for a while, you've known it, but it's to give every individual an accurate picture of God by helping those who believe become fully devoted followers of Jesus. But how? Like, that's the question. Okay, great, we, we want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, or probably we wouldn't be here right now, but how is it that we're supposed to do that? Now, what we've done as a group of people, as, as elders and as pastors, is we've, sitting down, just looking at the life of Jesus Christ, have come up with what we call the discipleship pathway. Now, it's important to understand that the discipleship pathway is not a program. You're not going to start hearing about the discipleship pathway program. You're not going to hear about the connect program and the commit program and the, and, and the call program. What this really is, is when you look down at it, it's a beautiful way in which now we help people to identify and understand in the process of God transforming them, where am I in this process? Now, the cool part about it is, is you're gonna see this connect, commit, call. Now, for those of you that maybe grew up in Baptist churches or something like that with alliteration, you're like, oh, this is already good. It all starts with the letter C, This this is amazing. Like, I'm already excited to hear what the Spirit of God is going to do through the three C's. And it would, so trust me, for both Christian and I, we would have never come up with this. This is like the last thing that Terry is going to contribute to this family. Yeah. <laughs> as a former, as a, as a Southern Baptist, this is his thing, and so it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so anytime you see the Connect, Commit call, just, just go, oh, Terry. This, yeah, is, this is one of his last amazing contributions <laughs> is to literate. But in it, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of understand though that this isn't something that actually we came up with or even Terry came up with. We believe this is just the pattern of how Jesus did ministry. And we're gonna want to lay that out for you a little bit today to try to connect that dot. But then at the very end, what we wanna do is we want you to be able to understand how within Cornerstone you can identify who it is and what it is that God has called you to be. So got to and
1: that talk. part's key, within Cornerstone. Even this discipleship pathway, even though it has the, we're not saying this is the only way, but as we look at the life of Jesus, as we look at the pattern of what he walked through with his disciples and then culminated all of that by calling them to make disciples, he's saying basically do with others what I did with you. And so this is our way in our context as your leaders to try to clarify where it is it we'd like to take you? Look at this pathway. It's almost like, it's like you're, um, you're looking at the trail map before you go on the backpacking trip. Okay, where are we gonna go? What are we gonna see along the way? So that way, if we get lost in the bushes, we get lost in the trees, we go, okay, where am I at in this whole thing? So it's both uh, kind of our goal this morning is almost in that way to be like the, the, the trail guide. to Say, hey, here's where we wanna take you. And we want you to have this map and have a working understanding of it so that as you go along the way, this both becomes a guide for your disciples and for the way that you disciple up.
0: Yeah. So the first one, let's look at this idea of connect. Now where we kind of draw this idea of connect, when you look at the life of Jesus' ministry, you can go to John 1 in your Bibles if you have it. We'll be looking at verse 35, but I'll go ahead and put it up on the screen for, for you to be able to see, just so you can follow along. Now when Jesus burst upon the scene in his ministry, if you know anything about John 1, it, he lays out, John lays out these amazing truths about, the, about who Jesus is. He, he's one that didn't just make his first appearance on this earth when he was born to a virgin. Jesus is eternal, he's co-eternal, he's been with the Father forever, ever. But when he bursts onto the scene, he comes and he's discipled by John the Baptist and one of the first words that Je- John says about Jesus is he says to all the guys following him, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's the promised one you've been waiting for. You see that like in verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him say this, and they began to follow Jesus. The key about this is, is that they're calling them in this moment. You're going to see this. They're going to go catch who is this one that John says is, the, is this Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, when you get down to verse 38, and if you want to go there in your Bibles, you can go there, but you can look on screen. It's just Jesus turned and saw them following. This is so classic Jesus. And he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come And you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for about, for it was about the 10th hour. In other words, Jesus was so great at this before calling them to this amazing mission. He said, why don't you just come be with me? Come check me out. Come watch how I do ministry, come watch, and you're gonna see this in their lives. They watched as Jesus did miracles, as he taught, as he confronted kind of the religious leaders of the time. They got to see this one that John the Baptist said was the lamb that takes away the sin of the world in action. In other words, the whole front end of Jesus's ministry was just, come see, just come see what I'm doing. Now, in in verse 40, though, we're gonna get into two particular people, Andrew and, and Andrew or Simon, Peter, Paul later, or Jesus calls him Peter. But in that, it just says this, Jesus turned, excuse me, uh, in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, now watch this, it's not the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, but we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And then there was this invitation just to come and see. Now, for the first six to nine months, you've got to understand this. That's all they did. They came and watched Jesus in all kinds of different scenarios, understanding who this guy really was. In other words, Jesus said, come watch. Don't just call me the Messiah. Come see that you will understand at the end of it that I truly am the Messiah, now, off of that, though, after about six to nine months, Jesus was so phenomenal. It was no longer going to be watch me. He was going to press them forward in this for them to understand more about who they were created to be. you have any, any thoughts off the tail end of that?
1: No, I think it's great. I think that, like, this is something that perhaps those of you who have a heart for personal evangelism, which hopefully is all of us, there can be that pressure you feel in that moment. You're sitting across from, from a coworker. You're sitting across from a family member a friend, a neighbor, and you want to seal the deal right then. Take them from the the starting line to the finish line of of committing to Jesus. And sometimes God gives us that grace in that moment to walk someone all the way there. But I also think there's a part of this that gives us that freedom. Let people come and see. Let them come and taste. Grab aspects of the gospel with you. See relationships between people who are part of the gospel. Invite them to come and see so that you don't leave them there. It's just, oh, cool, I'll we'll associate with this. We're going to move forward. But again, feel that freedom in our discipleship to, in, to give people a chance just to make those initial connections with Jesus, with other
0: disciples, and even, I would say, with a local church. That's right. And I would even say, if you're somebody that's new here, I would just say, come and see. Absolutely. That's what we're about, is that we are not perfect. You're going to find that out right away, the fact we can't even open a cup to take communion. <laughs> we, that's one of the, we just have, we have a litany of evidence that shows that we're not perfect.
1: Kevin Schoonover, he had it down. Back in the sound booth, he was helping us out. Okay, (laughs)
0: thank you, Kevin. He is perfect. Um, (laughs) But really to come along and see not perfect people, but people that Jesus Christ is transforming. But at some point, Jesus did look at these particular guys, including in this particular case, Simon and Andrew, and he was gonna invite them to more than just come and see. Now, if you have your Bible, you can go to Matthew 4, you can look it up on the screen, you can see this. And I'm, I'm choosing Simon and, and Peter and Andrew for a reason. Mainly just because if you've ever studied the life of Peter, let's be really honest with each other. No one would start a big mission with this Peter guy, <laughs> nobody would. But yet Jesus, this is what I mean, if you feel like you're just an utter failure and you just, you're not sure how it is that you would ever be one who follow Jesus, you need to understand the life of Peter. He was a man that by far didn't have anything altogether. But yet Jesus is about ready to look at him and he's about ready to look at his brother Andrew and, and watch what he says to them. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother. They were, they were out casting nets because this was their family business. It says, for they were fishermen and he said to them, watch this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now usually I read that and I'm like, oh, from the very start, Jesus just walks up to Peter and Andrew and just goes, boys, drop your nets, let's go. We're gonna go carry out this mission. And off they went gallivanting together through the woods of Judea, you know, (laughs) announcing the greatness of Jesus. But again, He didn't say this until about six to nine months of following him. They were seeing him and watching what he was doing, but I love this. Jesus, at some point, whether it's my life or these guys' lives or your life, is gonna look at you and say, it is not enough just to sit around and come and see. It's time to get off the bench and it's time to get into the game. Now what's so cool about this also is is he didn't just leave them there, he, he was going to, and you're gonna see this within our concept of what it means to commit, he was gonna teach them what it meant to commit. He was gonna teach them what it meant to commit to him, and I, oh, there we go, what it meant to commit to him, what it meant to commit to the other guys that were around him, and more importantly, what it meant to commit to these group of people that were about ready to follow Jesus. He was going to demonstrate what it was like through how he taught. In fact, in this little time in which they're walking with him, before he can even calls them to be apostles, which we'll talk about in a second, Jesus began to teach incredibly. He began to talk about the kingdom. He had the kingdom perils. The, he had the Sermon on the Mount. He began to teach about prayer, but he just began to help them to understand what it meant to be a follower of this of his, but not from just like a classroom concept, but like apprentices. He was hanging out with them. He was being with the guys. He was showing them what it meant to be able to carry out this mission that he was calling them to. And you'll see this even at some point, though, he's going to come, and he's going to define it even more. When he's, and it says in, in Mark 3, He went up to the mountain and called to him those that he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, who he named apostles, so that they might be with him and might, he might send them out to preach and have authority and cast out demons. In other words, he says, even pushing them along a little further, you're about ready to do what you've seen me do. Yeah. Now that's important. He taught, he modeled, but then he said, okay, boys, I'm gonna have you go out and do what I've done. Seems like you have a thought. It's so cool, because
1: again, that first is six to nine months, come and see, just see what this is. He invites them into more of a, he even calls them to a greater commitment as these apostles. And that word apostle just simply means ones who are sent. He calls them from the beginning. He says, you're my sent ones. You're the ones I'm going to send. But look at the very first thing he does with them. He says, okay, you're sent ones, but what's job one? Be with me. Be with me. That you might be with me, and then I'll send you out. That there was even that sense of it's not, that, that idea that I'm not just now quick, buy your plane tickets, and you're gone. It was, let's walk through this equipping process. Let's walk through this thing as I train
0: you to do this, so that ultimately I may send you out. Yeah. And even that, what we call it is just this word, equip. He was equipping them. He was building them to be the people that he intended them to be. Now he did it, like I said before, he would, he would take him along with him to do different things. We're going to look at it in John 6 in here just a little bit. He would always come say to them, come on, let's go. I'm going to show you what it's about. He, was, he would always start it out with teaching. He would even then at the end of it, he would, he would connect them to, to God. He would connect them in pairs and send them out to engage in what he was doing. He would, he would engage them in this equipping process, but he would always make sure that he released them out to go do ministry. I would even say this, when they would then get done, he would bring them back and they would kind of give them new teaching to help them understand. In other words, it was a very hands-on process, which is so much of our heart of understanding what we're trying to do within Cornerstone is to get back into this rhythm like Jesus did of just hands-on ministry, being with people, helping them to understand how to engage in the kingdom. One of the passages that's my favorite is in John 6. Now, if you know anything about John 6, he's he's just now kind of, they've they've got out on some water, they've gone across, they've been seeing all kinds of incredible things up to this moment. But it says, after this, this, what Jesus had been doing, they went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. In other words, they were seeing what Jesus was doing. And Jesus, it says, went up on the mountain. There he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, it says, in the feast of the Jews was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd was coming towards him. I love this. He looks at Philip and he says, do you think we're gonna buy bread so that we can feed these people to eat? Now Jesus already knew what he was gonna do. He totally already had in his mind what he was gonna do, but he, he looks at the guys. Again, he's teaching them as they're walking along going, what do you think we ought to do? Now look what he says in there. He said this to test him, for he himself, look at this, he knew what he was gonna do. I love it, Philip, it's like, I don't know. You know, he's looking around, uh, and then he says, we got 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough, or 200 denarii bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And then one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, we've already talked about him, said to him, look, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. In other words, he's got a lunch, but what are they to do for so many? And Jesus says in that moment, have the people sit down. And now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, that's men. So who knows how many people were there? And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves that, le- that were left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, just for a second, imagine yourself as those 12. I mean, here's Jesus, split the bread, hand it off, split the bread, hand it off, and they're like, what is this thing that he's doing, right? Just more and more bread is happening, and after a while, everybody is fed, and not only is everybody fed, but there's stuff left over. They must have been thinking to themselves, this whole ministry thing is going to be cake. (laughs) This is going to be easy, man. Jesus just needs to multiply the loaves and the fish, and everything is going to just be awesome, But then Jesus does something in John six that's so interesting. You would think in there Jesus would kind of have a mic drop moment. He'd just be like, who wants to follow me? But all of a sudden he started to preach to them and he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in my kingdom. Now it says in there the apostles must have been looking at it going, Jesus, what are you doing, man? This is like a really bad evangelistic method. Everybody is confused about what Jesus meant by that. And in an interesting way, everybody walked away from Jesus. Now, this is so important. let me just say this to everybody here. As you walk with Jesus, you're going to understand that Jesus is going to ask us and call us to do things that we don't understand, things that are hard. But those that know Jesus, they keep walking with him. And again, others are going to walk away at different points. He even looked at the apostles, right? And he says to them, are y'all gonna leave? And one of my favorite statements is Peter when he says, where are we gonna go? You have the words of life. They didn't get it, but they clung. And from there then, Jesus gives them new teaching and off they went. In other words, this is what we mean by equip. You look like you have something.
1: I think, no, absolutely. I think that the cool part there is not that the disciples are like, oh, we get this, and all these yokels out there don't know what's going on. I'm sure they're going, so I didn't expect cannibalism. I'm not <laughs> sure what to do with this. But Jesus, like, can you help us see? You know, yeah. there's that sense of we're not going to leave. Not that we fully understand, but we'll keep walking with I think that's when we talked about that discipleship definition, the very first part of it. This idea that disciples are learning from Jesus. We haven't got it all figured out. We haven't got it all mastered. But we know who the master is. So we're clinging to him and following him. And I love that's this moment you see these apostles get to. Can't do the math on all of this, but Jesus,
0: we're with you. Show us. Tell yeah. us see. And even at the end, just so you know this, the guys that were following him didn't fully get it. Yeah. I mean, we know this Peter, you know, he denied Jesus three times. We have, you know, John running away at different points. We have all the people scattering. The only people that actually did a great job that were, were the women that stood yeah. around Jesus. Yeah. The men all fled. But there's just this side of it along the way that Jesus is going to constantly call us and constantly beckon us. But here's the kicker of it. He was doing all of that because he knew he was leaving and he was giving the mission to in fact, in some ways, he didn't make it easy on them. And I would say this, if discipleship is something that's easy, you do not understand discipleship. Discipleship is actually something that's supposed to be something that's difficult and rigorous that demands that we trust in God. Mm-hmm. But finally, Jesus calls them to himself. After he died, he was buried, he rose again to this mountain that says in Galilee... And this is where he lands out this amazing concept that he was gonna give to these guys. He was looking at them saying in Matthew 28, I'm gonna unleash you now. I've come, I've done what I'm supposed to do. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I've defeated sin and Satan and death. I am the king, the resurrected king who reigns over all things. And now I'm handing it to you. But I've prepared you. Not only that, but the hope of the new covenant, which is found all throughout the book of Acts, is that the Holy Spirit landed upon them. And Jesus said, when my Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. In other words, through these local committed relationships that I'm engaging you in, you're going to now begin to spread this all over the world. So it doesn't matter if we're here or if we're on the other side of the planet. The whole thing is, is Jesus' mission has advanced once. One person at a time through these local committed relationships. In other words, that's what we mean by connect, commit, call. We're just following in the rhythm of Jesus. So one person came up to me and said, well, what new thing are we doing now? We're not doing a new thing. In fact, we're doing a very ancient thing. The very thing that I believe Jesus laid out, but I think he got it from, his, from, his, from the understanding of what was going on within the Old Testament. Because this is how God has designed us to live and to operate. So what I wanna do right now is based upon that, seeing the fact that this is how Jesus did ministry, and we're supposed to follow in his steps. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. What we wanna try to do now is we want to, and I'm gonna turn it over to Christian, to kind of lay out this idea then of what does connect, commit, call look like within Cornerstone, and how is it that you can kind of be joining in in what we're doing in in the being and making disciples. So I'll turn it off to you, It's it's all you. Sweet. I'll give you the power clicker. Power clicker, nice. So again, remember, when
1: we put this thing together, this is meant to be a guide for our own discipleship and for the way that we walk with others. And this idea of connect, building this initial relational connection. As we look at the, 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 the survey of Scripture, especially the life of Jesus and the teachings of the New Testament, it seems to us that there are three essential relationships that anyone who is going to be a follower of Jesus must be connected to. Absolutely, first, I don't know where it went, but it disappeared. I didn't touch it. Maybe we will come back. Maybe this is to test you and make sure you, you look at this. All right, here, we'll do this. Take a look. Hey! It's back. Yay, yay, can I get it back here too? That would be helpful if I can, if I can see it as well. So these three essential connections, uh, these relationships connect everyone to, absolutely, connection with Jesus. He's the one we're following. A connection with a group of disciples, that we don't follow Jesus in isolation from others, but together with others. And we would say a connection with the local church, especially we see this like in, in 1 Corinthians 12, as, as Paul's talking about this idea of the church of a, as a body made up, made up of many members, and a, a dismembered part of the body is no longer a part of the body, that we, we need this sense of connection together with a local group of believers. Um, but the point is, especially in that connect phase, is this idea that, that someone can start any, on any one of those. You can meet with a coworker at work and they come to a point where they have connected with Jesus and they wanna follow him. Your next shot thought should be, how do I connect them with a group of disciples and how do I help them get connected with a local church? It may not be this church, but a local church because it's essential to our discipleship. What's happening more often now is that oftentimes an unbeliever might connect with a group of disciples first. Rub shoulders with a a community of people. See what this life, this community in Jesus looks like. And from there, they go, wow, I really like this. What are you guys all about? What does this life look like? That group of disciples should go, okay, how do we help them form that connection with Jesus, not just with us? And also, how do we help them see that that we're not just this fun little clique of people, but we're a part of this idea of a local church. And so the point is, someone can start at any one of those. Maybe you're someone who's a long-term believer, but you're new here at Cornerstone. My hope would be you already do have a strong connection with Jesus, and you probably got some miles on your odometer in regard to what it means to be a disciple, but we wanna help you to connect here. The point is someone can start on any one of those, but the thought in my head about my life and those around me that I walk with should be, in this phase, are all three of those connections established because these are essential to our growth. But from there then, someone who has connected in all those ways, we want to then invite them into this commitment to be disciples. And so even in this next one, when we talk about what does it mean to commit, we wanna invite people to commit to Jesus. And the main way that we formalize that commitment to Jesus is through baptism, through this initial act of identifying with Jesus through his death and his resurrection, this idea that I'm leaving that old life behind and I'm beginning new life in Jesus. That's the initial idea, that we, the way that we enact that, commi- that commitment to Jesus. And I'm really excited. We actually got like uh, three people that are gonna be getting baptized next Sunday. Really cool stories. We're actually, I think we're going to pack it toward the beginning of our service so that we can celebrate it together rather than at the end. Um, but I'm super excited to that, to, see, to three, see three sisters in Christ enact that commitment to Jesus.
0: So don't come to the 1015 service. Those true, of you true. that come to the 1015, make sure you come to the 10 o'clock service so that you're there for everyone that's going to be baptized. So. Exactly. But again, we see all that in the Great Commission, right? Jesus
1: says, make disciples of all nations by doing what with them first?
0: baptizing them
1: in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the second part, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And that's that second part, committing to be disciples. Yes, I want to be taught. I want to learn, to observe, to keep, to obey all that Jesus has commanded. But like we've been stressing throughout this series, one of the things that Jesus commanded us to do is to make disciples. So every disciple needs to go, yes, if I am to keep to observe all that Jesus has commanded, that includes this command, this commission, to be a disciple maker. And then even the way that we we seek to formalize that commitment with a local church, to say to someone, okay, as we've connected you with churches in the area or things like that, if if Cornerstone is a church you formed a connection with that you want to be a part of, let us help you understand what that commitment to this mission looks like through this thing called membership. So I guess you could say, in many ways, this whole series, the whole membership booklet, really just lives in that little black invite arrow, seeking to invite and clarify what it means to be these disciples who embrace the call to make disciples for those who do commit to that, then we move into that little other black arrow of equip. And even though it's a small arrow on our pathway, I would say this idea of equip is where the majority of our time is spent, just like it was with Jesus and his disciples. Come be with us, come learn with us. Let's, Let's learn how to do this together. And the main way, there's kind of two main ways that we lay out in the membership booklet about the way that we want to equip those who commit as disciples here at Cornerstone. It's through like a foundational understanding of God's word, something that we've begun to call core four, and through service. And again, if you, maybe you've heard that phrase core four over the last couple of years here at Cornerstone. It's something we've been working on a lot. Um, but understand, again, it's not a program. But it is these four essential components that we believe are essential for all believers in order to help us understand this book, be able to interpret this book, and interpret life according to this book. And those four main things that we want to equip every disciple at Cornerstone with the first one is what we call the biblical story. Just this understanding of the overarching narrative of Scripture. What is the story that the Bible tells? It is not only a collection of books, it is a collection of books that are arranged as a story. And what is that story? What did God intend in creation? How did it get corrupted by our rebellion against him? What is this amazing grand plan that culminates in Jesus of redeeming all things? And how is God in the end going to make all things new? All of that is kind of the big picture, the lens that we use to view all of life. So that's why biblical story comes first. It's really the center of all of it. The second piece that we really wanna help people understand is what we call gospel transformation. If this story is good news, how does that good news change us? And in that idea of gospel transformation, we think it happens through three kind of interconnected ways. It changes us at the level of our heads, our thinking, the truth that we believe, the way that we uncover lies instead and and turn from those to truth. It impacts us at the heart level, maybe more at the level of our passions, our desires, what we delight in. Because we all know as sinful, imperfect human beings, sometimes we define delight in things that are not good. And yet the promise in the Psalms is that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. So we want change at the head level, at the heart level, and then even at the level of our hands, of our actions, our attitudes, our habits. And as we learn to walk and seek change through Jesus, through the gospel in those three interconnected ways, that's how we start to grow toward maturity. The third piece of that core four training is what we call basic doctrine. How do we take this whole big story and then synthesize the whole story into truth statements that are clear and understandable to our time about who God is, who we are, what the mission of God is, what the church is, what salvation is. And that's actually one of the main projects that I've gotten to be part of along with our elder team basically over the last two to three years we are kind of doing a massive expansion of our doctrinal statement, taking it from something that was more just a list of bullet point things that we believe to something that we've crafted truly to be a tool of discipleship, something that, that we hope truly enables us to not only equip you to understand biblical truth, but then also to shape your character so that you're able to contend for the truth of God's word with like an equal mixture of humility and conviction. To have conviction, to not just go, well, that's what I always heard, but to know why you believe what you believe, but also understand even sometimes why brothers and sisters in Christ believe different things about different aspects of doctrine and be able to carry that in in a posture of humility while still holding on a conviction. And then the fourth part of that core four is what we call mission and evangelism. Again, evangelism, this idea, we are, we are speakers of good news, tellers of good news, enactors of good news through our life to those around us. And that is something we want to equip every disciple to be. Some may be particularly gifted and passionate about evangelism, and that's awesome. And we want you to find a home here and be unleashed into that. But every believer at Cornerstone should be equipped to be able to communicate the gospel to those around us. But in that piece, when we talk about this idea of mission, the big picture in that last idea is, okay, we start with the real big picture. What's the mission of God? Out of this whole story, what has God been about in his world? What's his mission? What is he seeking to get out of the world that he made? And then out of that big understanding of God's mission, we say, okay, within that, what is the church's mission? As God's people, what role has he called us to play? As the church universal, all believers throughout all time, what's our role? And then within that big capital C church mission, we move a little bit smaller. How do we as one local church engage in that mission? And then even smaller to that, how do you and I as individual members of this church engage in that mission, both here and around the world? That's kind of the big, I guess you could say, big picture of Corfor, anything you'd add to that?
0: I think just the big thing is, is across the board, we're trying to help people understand what are the essential components that help you to be a faithful, fully devoted follower of Jesus? is that those key components are so important for our health. And and you always talk about it, which I appreciate. At the very center of it all is the the biblical story. right? Like God's word is absolutely essential to what we're doing, and everything flows out of it. And sometimes different ones of you have come up and said, I'm not a theologian, I don't do doctrine. I promise you every day, every single one of us, do doctrine and theology because we take what we believe about God and we live every day. And so therefore, we want all of us to learn how to do it as rightly as the Spirit of God enables us through through understanding the truths of God's Word.
1: So our hope is to equip you in all four of those ways in various ways. Again, it can be in more of like a small group discipleship format. It can be we'll we'll have opportunities, larger scale things where we want to help teach these things to you, help you understand and grapple with them. It even has informed for years the way that we teach up here And in some ways, what we'd love to do is kind of almost show our work, show how we we craft the way that we understand and teach God's word to equip you to understand it and and to think through it in a similar way. But the other main way that we want to equip you as disciples is through service, through hands-on acts of love and care for those around you, beginning with this church family, but also to our neighbors, to the community around us, to our global partners around the way. There's a lot more we could say about that, but... Just like Jesus did with his disciples, he did not only teach and converse with them. When he fed the 5,000, who passed it out? The 12. When it was time to gather up the extra pieces at the end, who gathered it up? The 12. Hands on actual getting our hands dirty in this thing. But the point of all of that, even in calling members at Cornerstone to be engaged through service, is not just to help you fill a role, to come in and help out to disperse the load so that the weight of ministry isn't just on a few people, though that's an important thing. The purpose of calling you into a lifestyle of service is for the purpose of making disciples, for the purpose of being able to train and walk with others. It's not just dispersing the load. It's about being disciples who make disciples. Because the whole point, the way that this whole thing is meant to kind of culminate is in this idea of a call, unleashing disciple makers to make disciples in the various aspects of their lives, to, to help you discern what are the, your callings. That can be a big kind of mystical word, but it basically just means this. Where has God already placed you in your life? What areas is your life spent? With whom does, is your life spent? That's where God has placed you, at least initially, to engage in this mission to be and to make disciples. Pay attention to you, recognize it. What are the hurts, what are the needs, what are the hopes of those around you? How do we help you begin to make disciples right where God's taking you? But also have this vision, this idea that God may call you elsewhere. The commitment of membership at Cornerstone is not a till death do us part commitment. God may move us onward to other places, but what we would love is that if the Lord takes you onward somewhere else, You are equipped through your time here to be able to engage in the making of disciples wherever God places you, around the globe, with other people groups, fortifying other churches here in the States, whatever it may be. So we wanna help you embrace this idea of what is a calling? Throughout this discipleship process, one of the things I get most excited about is this idea of helping people to discover and develop your gifts, your passions, the ways that God has uniquely made and gifted you by his spirit to engage in the making of disciples. But often, even as we start to uncover what those gifts might be, God doesn't give us to them in fully mature form. As a matter of fact, that's what Paul said to Timothy. He said, fan into flame the gift of God. Let that thing grow, develop it. So much of even calling you into patterns of service is, okay, as we walk together, I might see it seems like you're gifted and passionate in this area. Go cut your teeth. Go learn how to do it. Go develop it. Maybe you've come here from elsewhere and you go, I've got a lot of experience in certain areas. We'd love to know that and give you more opportunities to to develop and practice that here. But there's a huge part of this idea of call of not everybody has the same role. Even as you're unleashed into disciple making, not everybody is gonna be engaged in the same way across the entire pathway. If you're someone who's more gifted as an evangelist, I want you to camp out in that connect area. That's where you need to be. We actually misuse you if we just try to bog you down with a lot of task work within the church. I wanna unleash you into that idea of be Be with those who don't know Jesus and help them to connect, but but do it in that way where you understand the rest of the process. Having connected them with Jesus, I wanna connect them with a group of disciples, with a local church. I wanna keep them moving on. If you're someone who's more gifted and passionate in areas like service or teaching, you'll probably camp out more in that equipped place. And that's awesome. Be there. That's where we need you to be engaged. But so much of this idea of, of call is going, how has God uniquely gifted you as a member of this body to engage in this mission? And the last part up there, which is really huge, and is probably a newer thing, uh, maybe to me, maybe to the rest of us, but is just walking with people and helping people to discern both of their level of maturity and the capacity that they might have. There have been times where people have been put in positions of responsibility that they weren't yet at the, the, the level of spiritual maturity and character development to be able to handle it appropriately. Even sometimes you got someone who their, their character's in an amazing place and they're engaged and then life hits the fan and they go, I don't have the same capacity to lead or, 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 or serve in the same ways that I did before. And that's a huge part of it that we would love to walk you through. Not just how do we adjust and, and make sure we don't put you in a position where you can't be faithful. We wanna help you find ways to engage in the mission of this church that actually allow you and those you lead to flourish. But part of that also means sometimes helping you grapple with why don't you have as much capacity? How many other things have you committed your time and energy to that actually pull you away from the central mission of your life as a follower of, the, uh, of Jesus, as a disciple to make disciples? But the whole point of this thing is that as we want, as we desire to walk with you, there's really no end. There's not a, a finish line to this idea of making disciples. It's just as we're entrusted, we, we take what's been entrusted to us and entrusted to others. Nice, I mean, you
0: know, so much of this, just to understand. I look out at a room like this, and there is enough, there's enough people just in this room right here to change the world. Amen. Right? 120 people is where Jesus started from the very beginning in Acts 1. And inside of every one of you, not only were you created uniquely, not only do you have the fingerprint of God and being an image bearer, but in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7 and then down in verse 11, it talks about this idea that God brought you into this church and he made you special just for this particular group of people to unleash you in what you're doing. So I don't care if you're 15 or you're 95, there is a place within this church to grow and develop. And this is why I get so excited about it. I think to then grow up into this masterpiece that God talks about in Ephesians 2.10, this person that you're supposed to be. And I think especially when I look around and I see so many young people within our, in our room right now, I look at all of you and I am stoked to see what it is that you're called to be, not just to go through the motions of being in a church, but to be developed to be the people that God's called you to be. I would also say this if you're 95 in this church or younger, like 105, how about that? I don't think anybody's 105 or younger. I don't believe we are done until Jesus calls us home. And so this is where I get so excited. This is where I think for me, I wanna see God's people come to life and join Him in what He's doing in this world.
1: Yeah, amen. So as you look at this whole pathway, again, this is a guide for us and for those we walk with. Perhaps think about this right now. Maybe this is what I'll I'll give give you a thought. Think about it almost like a map at the mall. You know like when you go to the mall and you're trying to find a certain store, and you find that big map on the big stanchion there in the corner, what's the first thing you look for? What's that? Yeah, the big red dot that says you are here. Within this whole thing with multiple levels, where am I? How do I orient myself in this thing? Think about this in the same way. If you had to take a big red dot to define where you are on this discipleship pathway, where would you put it? Think about it. I mean, the reality may be that in different areas of your life, that dot would be in different places along this pathway. But wherever you're at, even if you're someone who's just checking out what this whole Christianity thing is, what would it look like where you're at right now to take the next step forward? And that's not necessarily meant to be something you just figure out on your own. That's part of what we're here for you. That's part of what we've laid this out for. We're not getting to the end of this pathway in our time together this morning. We're just laying out where we want to move together, not just in the next year, but for the foreseeable future. As Cornerstone continues to be faithful, this is what we wanna be about. And so we would love to come alongside you as we are seeking to grow as
0: disciples and help you to walk along the same pathway with us. Does that make sense? Which I think for both of us, and I think everybody in this room, whether we put words on it or not, that's our pathway. Amen. How all of us have developed inside of Jesus, right? Like I don't care who we are. We may have gotten stuck at different points. But this is the pathway Jesus has established. This is the way that it's gonna work its way out until he comes back. And so maybe just real quickly, um, we've had John up here and he gave his testimony. Mm -hmm. We've had Mike up here and both of them cried. And so I hope you cry. Um, But (laughs) why don't you just share a little bit of your story? Because I I think in a lot of ways, your story is this story of how Jesus developed you and watching you. But yeah, do you mind sharing us a little bit about your story?
1: I would love to, I would love to. Let's take a couple big breaths, take a little break. We unloaded a lot on you, and the point was just to, to cast it out there is where we wanna head with you. But now as I get to just kinda share a little bit about my story, I just wanna say thanks for that. This was an opportunity for each of us as elders to get to share what God has done and is doing in our lives. Um, I am a local product. I grew up here in the area. Um, my, uh, my parents grew up in the valley, and they moved out to, to Park when I was two years old, and they still live in the same house in, in Park where I grew up. Um, by God's grace, I was born to parents who both know and love and follow Jesus, which has been an incredible blessing. Mom and Dad love you so much. Um, I think that uh, I'm also grateful that I got to be raised in the church. I got to be raised in a small church in Moorpark. Um, and though even though later on in my life, when I was in college, I made the really hard decision to leave that church and, and eventually come here, I'm so grateful for the years that I got to spend in that church. I'm so grateful that from a young age, I, I had people who taught me the gospel well, who gave me a big picture of who God was at a young age. And I would say it's through the faithfulness of those disciples in that local church and the faithfulness of my parents that God, God got a hold of my life at a young age. I was, I was seven years old when I believed in Jesus and, and, and chose to follow him. But I would say that like many of us who came to know Jesus at a young age, I'd say my story is one of, yes, over the years, both learning more about who Jesus is, but especially learning more about how much I need him, how much I need him. And I would say that for those of us who've grown up in the church, who came to know Jesus at an early age, that is the key. Because as we grow, it's, it's inevitable that we begin to see more of the reality of the problems in our world, in our, in our own lives. And if our view of Jesus doesn't grow with our view of the problems, as we get older, we start to say, how can this little Jesus I learned about when I was a kid f- possibly be the solution to these huge problems? And so I would say for me, I am so grateful that, that I had people in my life throughout my formative years who continued to, I guess you could say, crack the door open wider on who God is. He's bigger, he's stronger, he's, he's more gracious and powerful than you yet understand. And it, and it created this desire in me to want to learn more. Um, but we walked through that discipleship pathway and in the same way we talked about those, the reality of con- the importance of connecting to Jesus and to disciples and to a local church, I could kind of trace my story along those lines. I was connected to Jesus from a young age, um, but I would say probably at least for me, wasn't really until I was in my college years that I really began to understand what it meant to walk with Jesus with others. Um, I definitely had friends growing up, but to be honest, as I think back about it, I really don't know if I ever really gave much thought to what it meant to be a friend what it meant to be a good friend to others. Um, I guess I've always tended to be one of those people that's a little bit more out of sight, out of mind. Like if you're right here and you're with me, we'll hang out and it'll be cool and stuff. But when you leave, I mean, the reality is I probably won't think about you that much, right? So I would say that (laughs) that's an area of growth for me as a pastor.
0: I'm gonna cry.
1: I know, right? I know. Well, I have to to see you every day, so I don't have a choice now. Now, um... (laughs) But I will say, as I, as I think back about early relationships, early friendships, they probably were based, probably like a lot of kids, more off of convenience, who's around me. But it also made it that when there was points of tension or conflict in my relationships, those relationships, even if they were right around me, were no longer convenient. And so it was easier to just kind of pull away. I, I definitely remember as a teenager praying many times this idea of, Jesus, even if all my friends bail on me, I know that you won't. And that's true, absolutely, that is true, but I also look back on my perspective where I was at in my head and I go, that was extremely selfish. Because it was all about how I knew that Jesus would be there for me and all about how I knew that other friends maybe weren't gonna be there for me, but it was all about me and really no thought to what it meant to be there for others. And then I would say it was while I was in college, I was a a Bible major and during my college time, um, I, I learned a ton about scripture a ton about God's word, but I would say that season of life in college was also when I began to learn about what it truly meant to love others, what it truly meant to be there for others. Um, I began to just grapple with the fact that God's called me to love people, but I can't just force myself to do that. I can't just conjure that up. I began to say, God, would you teach me how to love others? Would Would you give me love for others? And God was faithful to answer that prayer
0: through others,
1: through people. In a large part, he used the guys in my dorm that I was around all the time and so I couldn't get away from who would love me well, who would call me out when I didn't love them well, who, get get, get this, kid growing up in the church, they would confess sin to me. They would talk to me about things they were struggling with. I was familiar with confessing past sin. You know, you get up, you share a testimony. I used to really wrestle with this. Then God saved me and so now I can talk about it. But no, seriously, believers talk about what they're struggling with right now Maybe I need to do that too. I, I, For the kind of the first time, began to truly open up and and understand that this is something I'm meant to do with others. And I would say that whole season of my life was life-changing. That love, that support, even rebuke from other like men and women who were following Jesus, my same age, it was life-changing. I was learning, I guess you could say, to be a disciple together with other disciples. And that was one of the biggest blessings of my life at that time. And I would say there's three other Amazing blessings that God brought into my life during my college years as well. The first one is that's when I met my wife. That's when Jen and I met during my second year of college and she has been such a joy to share life with. She's over teaching in children's ministry, otherwise they'd be looking at her and gushing right now. But I love my wife dearly, I'm so thankful for her to get to follow Jesus together with her. Another huge blessing during those college years for me was that was when I first started to begin this, have this sense of God, are you calling me into pastoral ministry? Is this something that I wanna do? And then the other huge blessing was it was during my college years that I came to Cornerstone. That's when I started attending this church as a, as a, as a, as a uh, junior in college, I think. And I guess you could say that the rest is history. I, I, I came on as a youth intern in 2005. Jen and I got married on this stage right here in 2006. And it has been such a blessing to get to have this church be the family in which my wife and I have gotten to grow up into adulthood here. We've gotten to now raise our kids as a part of this family. Um, I've worn a lot of different hats over 16 years of ministry here at Cornerstone. I've done youth ministry and children's ministry and led community groups. I would say a huge theme throughout all of it has been teaching God's word. That's been a passion throughout my time here at Cornerstone. I think it's one of the main ways that God's gifted me to, to serve you, to love you. And so it's a joy to get to do that. Um, and then even for the past several years, I've gotten to serve as one of your elders. And I just wanna talk about that for a second because I've talked with friends in other parts of the country, pastors who are in other settings. And, and I was kind of surprised to hear often people would look at me, I'd tell them my story and they'd say, do you realize how unique that is? Not something special about me, but they would say this. To be a young man in ministry at an early age and then to get to grow up into adulthood and actually be an elder at the same church that you started at as an intern. I say most often young people who start out early in ministry, you eventually have to go somewhere else to shake off that young kid label. For people to no longer just look at you as, oh yeah, the young pug, we remember him when, but to actually embrace you and respect you as a, as a man in ministry, um, and I would say thank you because many of you have known me since I was a 21 year old knucklehead intern and you've, you've given me room to grow and to fail and to learn. One of the greatest compliments I've, I've received has been such a blessing, is especially with some of you who are older have come up to me and said, we've seen you grow so much. It's like, thank you for that. Like, young people in ministry need that kind of encouragement. We have these big aspirations from the Lord. We know we're green behind the gills. And when people who are farther along look at us and say, hey, keep going, it's amazing. And I just want to say thank you for being that for me. I would say the future of this church, of every church, depends upon giving young men and women who have a heart for God and a heart for people room to grow and to lead. And, and that's what this church has been for me for the first 16 years of my, my ministry. And I would say, as I look forward, I am so passionate that Cornerstone continues to be that kind of a place, that this continues to be the place where young people can, can grow. And so I'd say this to you, if you are in your 20s, if you are in your teens, if you have a heart for the Lord and for people, if you think that God might be calling you to some sort of ministry, which we're all called to in some way, Dive in here. This family is a fantastic place to learn and grow with. Let's get after it together. That's what it's been for me. And as one of your elders, I am passionate that you would find that here too. And I would just say, man, Todd, I was... um, When I first came to Cornerstone, I met this guy named Todd, who was the high school pastor, and he said, "Why don't you come help out?" And your role in my life has been fantastic. And if there was a point to cry, it would be now, but I'm holding it together. Can you believe me? I'm usually the crier. I know you. I'm holding it together. (laughs) Praise God for that. Yeah, but thank you guys. I love y'all. Thanks for letting me share a little bit of my story with you.